It's hard enough to see through a messy windshield in a snowy, rainy mix. It's even harder when it's nighttime. And even harder with red and green lights shining in your eyes. Not just traffic lights, but holiday lights reflecting from every direction on my glasses. But the tears, well, that made visibility even harder. I was trying to drive back home through the the chaos of the holiday traffic when a song came on the radio by Casting Crowns. The lyrics took what I was already feeling and amplified them a hundred times inside me. All is calm. All is bright everywhere but in your heart tonight. They're singing carols of joy and peace, but you feel too far gone, too far out of reach. Somewhere in your silent night, heaven hears the song your broken heart has cried. Hope is here. Just lift your head, for love has come to find you. Somewhere in your silent night. I had just come from one of the many crowded shopping areas where I had been a part of the anxious masses trying to find some last-minute item. I hope my countenance didn't look like the ones around me, but it probably did, maybe worse. Some intense, some frustrated, quite a few angry, but most just solemnly sad, seemingly already disappointed in Christmas before it had ever arrived. And what was it they were hoping would arrive? Well, uh, a day of family togetherness, perhaps, most certainly, usually. When the real facts are known, the message of the Grinch is really true. Christmas treasure is not found in a store or a box under the tree. And it's not what is consumed at a table, but it's who we share the table with that makes the season precious. How we all long for family. And the gradual disintegration of, of our homes has been the disintegration of the individual on a massive scale. So that we now sickly think of this aberration of broken relationships as the new normal. But every year around this season, we try to somehow fix all that. A few years ago, Wyoming and Montana were in competition to be the number one state in the union for meth addiction. It got so bad, they produced and ran a series of 30-second TV commercials in hopes of battling it. If you want to see those ads, by the way, just go to the Montana Meth Project videos on YouTube. They are painful, accurate, and effective. And only 30 seconds long, usually. These tiny visual messages actually brought meth use down considerably, as much as 70% in one year. But one ad I saw stuck most in my mind. 
It showed a well-lit home with a Christmas wreath on the door. Pounding at the door was a young man on meth, screaming to be let in. But to no avail, the camera then scanned to the front window which viewed the family room Christmas tree. The heartbroken parents struggling together, holding each other as they drew strength from each other's sorrow to not give in to the demands and screams that included, let me in or I'll kill you. Now, the crowd around me there in the store were not crazed meth users, thankfully, insanely kicking and screaming at the front door of their family homes. But the longing for family and the hopeless dread of not gaining access to whatever it is they were looking for and longing for could still be felt in the air, in the atmosphere. And I thought, as I watched how much of our addictions, whatever form they take, are rooted in this deep sense of isolation, loss, and aloneness. Maybe the people around me were feeling the stacked up, hopeful but mostly disappointed desires of their entire life, all now stuffed into this one evening, all now compressed into this present holiday scenario. Certainly many were hoping for a a day of giving, but there was no sense of either family love or a giving spirit in the frustrated, muddled mob of holiday shoppers. I put the word holiday in italics. You know, it comes from the word holy day. And so we talk about holiday shopping. Holy day shopping? It doesn't quite work, does it? I don't don't claim that I was accurate in my suppositions about the stories behind each face, but I couldn't help the stream of feelings and accompanying images passing through my mind as we all walked past each other. I could see in my spirit like film from a film reel the longing for stuff and the sorrow over the lack of money some sad for what they could not buy for others some angry because of just nothing more than frustrated covetousness about what they couldn't buy for themselves there was the painful anticipation of the usual holiday family fights that have become for so many the only memorable family tradition that is repeated every year. The overindulgence of cheap but harmful addictions ingested to make up for the lack of access to more desirable fare. That was included. Then there were those for whom Christmas had no meaning whatsoever. These are the ones who long ago gave up on the shallow, tensile plasticity of it all, and who just get through the special days in a foggy purple haze. Now my own mood was not helpful. I was thinking how I would love to rip the speakers out of the ceiling because of the perpetual non-Christmassy Christmas songs that are played every year now to avoid Christmas songs that talk about Jesus or anything to do with the transcendent holy. 
and they play them over and over and over. How many times can people stand to hear, have yourself a merry little Christmas, or Jingle Bell Rock, or worst of all, I'll have a blue Christmas without you before our heads explode. But then I thought, well, but it's appropriate, isn't it? This music, so-called, is much better suited for the mood and focus of all of us that are in this room than any true Christmas carol would be. I mean, would it be right for Joy to the World or Silent Night to be the musical backdrop for anxious, angry parents yelling at overstimulated or overtired screaming kids pulling toys off the shelves or overworked, underpaid parents feeling the weight of the demand to create a Merry Christmas for their loved ones, knowing they never have enough to make the holidays enough. But what exactly would be enough? It seems in a country of vast and ever-increasing wealth, nothing is ever enough. This season of the year that is supposed to focus on Thanksgiving followed by the eternal hope of Christmas we have managed to deform into a horrible, disfigured caricature called Turkey Day, followed by an endless stream of winter sail pitches mixed with a soundtrack of maudlin instrumental sentimentalism and bad music and bad lyrics. I finally escaped the holiday mess, headed to my car, but as I did, I passed a tired-looking woman, maybe in her mid-thirties. She appeared as though she was barely able to buy necessities. Did she have a child, maybe more than one, whom she hoped to be able to buy something special for? But if so, could she? Or worse, maybe she had no children, no husband, no friend, no one. It was just her, and she was coming into the marketplace where the shallow exaltation of the holidays screamed at her the wordless message that said something like, you don't have any money, or you don't have any loved ones, or any number of other you-don't-have barbs that ultimately communicate to her that you don't have any part of this celebration, so what the hell are you coming in here for? Now, I can't prove any of these imaginings about her. But they stream through my mind as vividly as if I was actually seeing them. Her sad, hungry eyes were on my mind as I drove into the street. I was heading home to my loving family and my warm house. That's why when the lyrics of Casting Crown's song hit me, they hit me really hard. All is calm, all is bright, everywhere but in her heart tonight. I got to a stopping place where I could pull over because it was becoming hazardous for me to try to see to drive. I let the deep sorrow wash up and rise up from inside me. I've learned the difference between my own personal emotions and the grieving intercession of the Holy Spirit. 
Wordless cries went up from inside me on behalf of the sad-eyed lady, the frustrated parents, the high-anxiety, confused, screaming children who were caught between natural, normal childhood excitement and deeply conflicted, confused rage at what they could not understand, the changing moods of their parents. The same rage that had deformed their parents when they were children, which helped them become the failing adult guides who would generate a whole new crop of compulsive, addicted consumers who would one day carry on this wondrous tradition called Christmas shopping. And I cried for my own sorrow that I had lived to see us become this mess that we are every year. If I was the devil and I wanted to make the pain I impose all year become revved up to a new degree of agonizing intensity, I would work all year to make the so-called Christmas season just exactly what it has become. I would seek to turn the focus as far away from the transcendent meaning of the invisible real above us as possible. Then I would force feed the whole culture to the sickening, twinkly, impotent counterfeit there that's all around us. I would turn the hearts away from the Holy Family and make Christmas about some generic idea of family. But I would seek to so infect the families of people with bitterness, hurt, disappointment, lust, addiction, and broken promises till the Christmas season would only be a magnification not only of family failure but of family ongoing sorrow. And I would work hard to magnify the family stress and deepen the wounds by the sheer hopeless hope that all people seem to have, that that senseless hope that perennially says, this year's going to be different. This year will make it good. While never letting them consider that nothing has been done all year long to make any difference in how the Christmas celebration will turn out. I'll have them plant seeds of bitterness, greed, lust, and unforgiveness all year long, and yet make them hope for a crop of joy and peace and love. Then I would enjoy the disappointment at the harvest. I would stir up all the weak sentimental emotions with no real roots in reality with thoughts like why can't we just for one day have a peaceful loving family gathering? Never would I allow the logical truth to enter the mind that it is impossible for them to have peace, love and joy for only one day, because peace, love, and joy can't be generated for only one day unless it is being generated all the other days. It cannot just show up for the holidays in order to satisfy a mere seasonable facade. 
It must be there all the time if it is to be there any time. If I was the devil, I would spend the year making sure there is no love so I can have the extra pleasure of loveless sorrow becoming exquisitely amplified during the holidays. If I was the devil, I would make getting and receiving gifts a way of measuring love and happiness. I would make receiving a gift or not the measure of whether I am loved or not. And I would make the price of the gift the measure of how much I'm loved. What a glorious orgy of human pain it all is, I would think, if I was the devil. All their joy is based on something purchased in a store. And even if they get the gifts they hope for, the joy will only last a few moments. The higher this false joy rises, the deeper their post-holiday despair will sink as soon as the wrapping paper is thrown away. And the best part, all the best part, is that in all this Christmas, there's no thought of Christ Mass. With all the focus on mere gifts that often are not even what people wanted, purchased by funds that are borrowed at high interest and given only to satisfy holiday obligation more than thoughtful, real acts of love, no thought of the true gift of Christmas can even get through anymore. Some are even so far removed from reality that e even they even think it's a shame that Christmas has become a season that gets periodically infected by those pesky Christians bringing in the element of religion. Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those I hate Christmas guys. When I was a boy, Christmas was a reprieve for me from the normal godlessness of my usual everyday world. Yes, when I was a small boy and on into early teens, there was some degree of sentimental falseness that had already begun to creep in. But there was still a subtle stream of reality with a capital R that found its way into our thoughts and conversations. I met God through it and deepened in my understanding of the gospel the lyrics of Christmas carols. Not, I'll have a blue Christmas without you, but Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Now, I learned those words before I could read. Christmas meant a lot to me. So I'm thankful for Christmas past. And it was the absence of any trace of that spirit anywhere which increased my sorrow in the store that night and which Casting Crown's song finally brought me to tears. Now, if you go back far enough in church history, 
you can find evidence of a much greater understanding of this season than we have now. Thankfully, even still today, it is enshrined in music like Handel's Messiah, where he quotes from Isaiah, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Or in hymns like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel, who mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. See, the ancient church understood something we would greatly benefit from if we only could recover it. That is, that Advent, those few days before Christmas, was not a mere countdown to Christmas that was equally filled with joyful, colorful celebration. No, Advent begins in the dark. And Advent begins in captivity to the enemy. Advent was a period in the early church of recognizing that the reason we long for the Incarnation is because we are in utter darkness and utter hopelessness till he comes. And he is our only hope. Advent cries out for the light to come and for deliverance to come. If only we all kept or at least understood the ancient church calendar, we would know all this. And knowing it might help us together to guide our corporate holiday preparations with greater wisdom and reverence. But not knowing it makes us all susceptible to the false, seducing spirit of this age, which willfully, consciously seeks to ruin the real meaning of Advent and, of course, of Christmas by obfuscating it with all the stuff that we all know so painfully well. See, darkness makes us long for the light. But a muted, tensile disregard for darkness that seeks to ignore it and cover it up helps lead us to a greatly faded dawn at Christmas. For many years, I identified with the Anglican Church and have gritty, many wonderful memories there. And in some Anglican churches, there are no Christmas decorations at all until Christmas Eve. Up till Christmas Eve, during the Advent days, the liturgy addresses the darkness of the world, its sorrow, its suffering, and its sin, and the utter lostness of all of us who are trapped in that darkness. The church is not made sparkling with candles and greenery or silver bells and tinsel. No, the church building in Advent was drab. The atmosphere reflects our true, condition, our true condition. The songs are not about joy to the world, but the terrible condition of human sin and weakness and the evils of the world in darkness. This was meant to make the longing for the dawning of the Incarnation shine clearly as our only hope. But by ignoring this truth and anticipating Christmas as a holly jolly distraction from the drab norm of our fallen existence, 
we not only fail to embrace our true condition, we compound the loss by turning Christmas into a nearly religious version of Mardi Gras. This results in a third evil produced by these first two. We not only ignore the Christmas reality because we ignore the Advent darkness, but we schmooze it all over with a sentimentality rather than passion or compassion. Now, I may be about to trouble some of you if I've not troubled you already, but I'm going to say what's on my heart. You hear it more and more, don't you? We all do. Christmas is for children. Now, I work as hard as any parent to make sure my children, and, and now my grandchildren, experience all the goodness and joy a happy Christmas morning can bring. I'm not sitting up above you in some ivory tower of self-righteousness. I have the same struggles and longings. I want very, very much to make my kids happy. It's just that very early on, I began to realize nothing I could ever do makes us happy. I began to learn that if we were being seduced by the spirit of this age to believe our momentary experience of gift giving and getting and all the other things bought by money was our focus, we would then at first be less and less happy. Then we would become more and more unhappy until eventually, like the pagans around us, who don't even know or care what the Incarnation means, we would become miserable every Christmas. We would be most miserable of all. Is Christmas for the children? Well, in early Advent observances, a place was always made for the remembrance of the children. But it was not anything like our child-centered toyland. No, this was a remembrance of a far more real-to-life event called the slaughter of the innocents. See, the real Christmas story was not one of child-friendly happiness. Not yet. Not even close. It was a story mixed with a horror so terrible that it seems that our modern imaginations can't tolerate the memory of it if it is portrayed in some film recounting of the nativity, it's so often as much a dramatically uh, well-done, small, quick presentation. And it's understandable that they would make it as fast as possible. But think of it. It's a, it's a part of the story of a monstrous ruler sending his army to murder all children under two years of age, ripped from their mother's arms without mercy. Their silent night was ripped apart by the repeated sounds of violence and screaming and finally inconsolable sobs. Rachel weeping for her children because they are no more. This is the horror of earthly life that the creator of heaven and earth entered through the womb of a woman. 
Here's an ancient hymn lyric you probably have not sung in your childhood or any other time. Herod the king in his raging charge he has this day his men of might in his own sight the youngest of them slay. The child lying in the manger came in the dead of night a light shining in utter darkness and that darkness never was more manifest than in the depravity of Herod slaughtering the infants in order to keep the true king of Israel from coming. I realize I may be committing an obscenity against you. I can't bear to watch the commercials that come on TV now and then showing vivid images of child suffering. I can't watch them. I turn them off. I want to do something, not see what I cannot do. So I do what I'm able. What I'm not able to respond to, whether it's right or wrong, I turn away from seeing it. Therefore, what right do I have to force you to look at or listen to my description of the horror of the slaughter of the innocents? Well, yes, you can turn me off. You can refuse to hear. But I beg you not to. For I truly believe we all must face these truths. If we do, we can transcend the darkness and become light in the midst of it. See it not as gratuitous negative facts, but as a wake-up call and an invitation to freedom and light and healing power. That being true, I think you'll stick with me for a few more minutes. Or we can refuse to face these truths and just have another sentimental holiday season. See, sentimentality is the sleeping pill we swallow in place of the medicine of truth. The truth is that things are truly as dark as they seem. Men are as evil as we seem and worse. The medicine that cures us from the cancer of evil reality is the incarnation, but it's the incarnation that leads to a cross. The manger has the shadow of Calvary upon it from the beginning. He is born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the house of bread, to be broken for us. He is born so that he might die. Sentimentality is the lazy, cowardly way to avoid the pain of reality. Sentimentality celebrates an innocence that does not need a savior to die for us. Sentimentality paints the world as innocent. The true innocents are murdered in cold blood by Herod. and We erase that part of the story. In sentimentality, they're snuggled together, all safe in their beds, while visions of sugar plums dance in their heads. But the real world Jesus was born into that night was a place of unspeakable horror and suffering and cruelty. I'm not saying that sugar plum visions are wrong. I want my children to be safe and snuggled in their beds too. But I want that for all children. 
and the darkness of the first Christmas season is not filled with the sounds of giggling children playing with their toys, but the screams of agonizing parents as soldiers slaughter the defenseless. There's something about this horror juxtaposed with the baby in the manger that, like all scripture, is speaking a very clear, raw, unavoidable truth. This is the reality, and it is the only reality that has power to challenge and overcome the same ongoing evil we still face today. It's the clashing of two kingdoms, the dark invaded by the light. There is nothing soft or sentimental about the real scriptures or the real story. The ongoing suffering more than ever now of the people of God in Iraq and Iran and Syria the Sudan, in China, and Kenya, and North Korea, and many other countries. And you could add to that the suffering of inner city Chicago, the insanity and cruelty of gangs in Los Angeles, and Philadelphia, and now Charlotte, and what's going on in your town? The pre-Christmas sounds of these places match the real ones found in Scripture, which the Church of the West is as ignorant of as if we had never read the real story. We, however, have done away with the reality, totally ignored the cries of anguish, sought ways to ignore the sad faces of those around us who may not be having a merry little Christmas and turned Advent into just Christmas light, L-I-T-E. With the help of demon spirits of this age which manipulate this present evil system who capitalize on our never-ending longing for more and more, we have weaved a counterfeit story that finds false security in an innocence we do not possess. So the coming of the light into our darkness means nothing because we don't believe we are in darkness. We think we are as innocent as the coming baby in the manger He's not the savior of the world. He's merely the patron saint of all innocent children. And Christmas is for the children. The gift of the Magi of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were not prophetic symbols of the baby's kingship, his worthiness to be worshipped, and his impending death for us. No, they were only good examples of how to buy classy Christmas gifts. Now, I'm not being cynical. The definition of cynicism is to believe all people are motivated by selfish, avaricious interests in everything we do. And no, I do not believe that. I believe in every heart there's a longing for the real. But when the heart is only fed a sparkling, counterfeit fare that you can't really live on, and there's nothing else on the table, you, you, you tend to just eat garbage and try to convince yourself it's food. Is there any way back from this horror? Well, obviously I believe there is. It makes no sense to point out the error if there's no way away from it. But it will depend on how much we want to turn from the fault and how much we want the real. I want to offer three points. 
Oh, you could add to the points, and I hope you will. But these are the three basic points I think are most important. I'll offer them to you for your consideration. Number one, restore the understanding of Advent, that it begins in the dark. Number two, let Advent awaken in us a deep hunger for our Savior. And number three, find ways to restore Christmas to its Christ-centered reality by being Christ in the darkness to someone, somewhere. Number one, restoring an understanding of Advent doesn't mean necessarily that you have to do any or all of the things that I've been listing here. But it means something other than going out and buying an Advent candle and making it nothing more than another pre-Christmas Christmas bauble. Advent begins in the dark. It begins with the slaughter of innocent children to satisfy the demonic power and lust of a murderous world system. So how might we enter the true understanding of Advent then? How about this? Take time privately or with your family or if you're single, gather some friends. And for each day of Advent, pray for some portion of the suffering church. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you truly enter with them in their suffering. You mothers and fathers, consider as you hold your own children near the unspeakable grief of a Christian family whose children have been kidnapped by Boko Haram or which have been taken from their parents and placed in some rehabilitation facility by some godless, wicked, atheist government. Pray for their children. Pray for those parents. Instead of trying to avoid the fact, face head on the reality of just how dark and wicked this world is and how, if left to ourselves, we would be damned forever. Think of what the world would be like had Jesus not come. Not just a passing thought. Think about it. Thinking of these present painful realities and putting yourself in a place of empathy and prayerful care for those you cannot reach and help will not only place you in a powerful position of actually reaching and helping them, but will help you feel in a strong way how precious it is and what it means to have a Savior. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. What if that was all it says? If that's all, think what it would mean. We think we are aware, but consider how easily we just pass over these truths. Maybe the most emotion we allow at this season of the year is related to our personal family or friends or some sentimental holiday stuff. There's, that's not wrong in its place, but we have given all place to that shallowness and therefore displaced the real issue that in the face of the gross darkness that covered the earth, the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you and the Gentiles shall come to his light and kings to the brightness of his rising. 
Finally, once we have maybe restored the meaning of Advent in a way that addresses the real suffering and sorrow of this present darkness, this will automatically restore a far greater degree of reverence for the real meaning of Christmas, for the Incarnation. And that takes us to number two. When the symbols of Christmas point again to Him, you will find the lights and the music and the gifts and the togetherness will become incarnated by His presence also. He will again incarnate you, your family, your celebrations. Please understand, I I don't want to invade you with my own private concerns or regrets. I don't know how you do or do not keep this season. I've already told you, both here and in other messages, that I do believe in this season as a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus. And I have great memories of his presence invading our family when I was a boy. But over the years, I've allowed the culture to swallow me up with its counterfeits. And I just can no longer stand it. I'm not willing to go along. But I'm also not willing to merely reject it all and say hell with it and do nothing redemptive with it, which to me is just the same failure in the opposite ditch. Keep your family traditions. Give, celebrate, enjoy each other. Just make sure as you do that you are holding the truths I'm trying to communicate in their proper place. Finally, number three, Find ways to be Christ to someone at Christmas. Now this is something you must prayerfully examine and explore with the Lord. It seems obvious to maybe help a poor person or a poor family, but it probably would be more than that if it's Holy Spirit led. See, I have trouble with the idea that we only do this at Christmas. I I always think of that line in Scrooge where Dickens puts in the mouth of some of his characters who are appealing to Scrooge to give to the poor. And he says, why should I give to the poor? And they said, because it's Christmas. He said, what's that got to do with it? And their response is, well, because it's at Christmas this most festive season of the year that want is most keenly felt and abundance rejoices. Well, maybe that's true, but maybe it's good to help people just during Christmas. But doesn't it make more sense to remember that they're just as needy in January and July and October? And can we not just do something good for them to help us feel good about ourselves, but... (laughs) but do something for them that might befriend them on a deep, lifelong level, become involved in their lives and teach them how to live, how to overcome the poverty of spirit as well as the poverty of their pocketbooks, teach them to help others do the same, be Jesus to them so they can learn to be Jesus to others and pay it forward? Well, it's a place to start. It may take on many forms beyond my feeble description here. The Holy Spirit will gladly help you give birth to your own unique version of giving and caring, not only at this season, but always. 
a new way of living through a new way of giving. How would you like for Christmas time to be the time when the rest of the world catches up with you and at least for a few weeks takes up the joy and love that you have learned to live in all year long, every year, all the time? Forgive me if I've shaken your holiday spirit. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. I'm simply unable to say anything different than what I've just been saying. It's all I have in me. It's all that is awakened in me during this season now. I see what a hypocrite I am as I consider the words I speak. God helping me, I will become more and more of what this message is trying to awaken in all of us. I remember a wonderful Catholic song I learned as a small boy. If everyone lit just one little candle, what a bright world this would be. I'm not asking us to light up the whole world. I can't save the whole world. That's why I flip channels when certain advertisements come on TV about suffering children that I can't reach. But I can reach what's in front of me. Can we find our little candle and light up our little part of the darkness? Advent begins in the dark. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. All is calm And all is bright Everywhere But in your heart tonight They're singing carols Of joy and peace But you feel too far gone And too far out of reach Somewhere in your silent night Heaven hears the song Your broken heart is cried Hope is here, just lift your hands For love has come to find you Somewhere in your silent night To manger, Lord, there is no distance. The Prince of Peace won't go. From manger, Lord, to Calvary's hill, when your pain runs deep, His love runs deeper still. always loved you child and he always will somewhere in your silent night heaven hears the song
song Your broken heart has cried Hope is here just Love will find you. Love will find you.